Let's pray. God, we're here. We're together. We're not in danger outside of the fact that some of our ears are closed. Some of our eyes are blind. Some of our hearts are not open. So I pray Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 over us that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might see and know the truth of your word. And I pray just as you spoke through a donkey to save a man's life, I pray that you would speak through me to help us all understand the saving way of Jesus. And I pray that in your name. Amen. You know, guys, um, it is a celebration. Uh, the death of Janet, is, it's, it's, it's a loss and it's a tragedy. Death is a tragedy. Uh, and I want to tell you, I've been a part of some funerals and I've done a couple funerals where the person doesn't know Jesus and it's really, really difficult. And uh, it's very pressing and hard pressing. And everyone in this room, every single one of you guys, you have something in common. And it's that every single one of you has either hard things going on right now or you've had hard things go on in your past. And guys, every one of you has got hard things coming your way in the future. Every one of you. The reality is to be human means to be hard-pressed, to go through trials, to feel pain, to have suffering. And as a Christian, we approach these things a lot different than the world does, okay? But I want to ask you guys, and this is a little bit of participation. You can talk. Don't freak out, okay? Um, and if you're in the back, you're not even going to be on the recording. It's not even going to make it on here. I'm going to repeat what you said and probably say your name so everybody in the world knows. Because, you know, thousands of people listen to this uh, podcast, not even close. It's like my mom. Um, okay, but here I want to ask you, what are the things or what are the questions that when hard times come that you ask or have asked or heard somebody ask? What are the questions? When, what was that again? Why me? Okay, what else? Does God really love me? Okay. Are you there, God? What kind, of, what kind of good God would allow this to happen? Anybody ever ask those questions? Yeah? Hey, guys, listen, it's okay to say yes. There's nothing Christianity is saying that you can't have doubts and fears. Anybody here have doubts, fears, hard-pressed, and you ask those questions? I have asked those questions. Where are you? What are you doing? Why is this happening to me? Now, listen, these are good questions. Uh, and they make sense. But let me make sense of these questions by putting these into two categories, okay? I want to split them between a happy legalist and a sad legalist, okay? A happy legalist and a sad legalist. Okay, here, let me explain to you what a happy legalist is. And this is what a happy legalist is, okay? Every one of you in this room, you are tempted to one or, or both of these. Every single one of you, you ready? So here's the happy legalist. A happy legalist will ask, why is this happening to me? But when they ask... This is how they're asking. They're saying, I have been a good person. I haven't done anything to deserve this. Why is this happening to me? Simply put, the happy legalist feels that they have done enough good things to warrant good things in return from God. God, you kind of owe me this. Why would you do this to me? If they're a Christian, you know, they are those, you know, they, they, they attend most services, right? They gave some money, they serve, they're a part, but in their heart, 
They were doing it thinking that they were stacking up something that then now God, you know, uh, stacking up a credit now that they owed something else. That's a happy legalist. Okay? Uh, sad legalist. Let me explain to you what a sad legalist is. Okay, in my household, we're split. My wife is a happy legalist. I'm a sad legalist. Here's a sad legalist. A sad legalist goes, I know why this is happening to me. I know why this happened to me. I, I deserve this. I'm not a good person. I haven't done enough good things for God to give me good things. I'm not good enough, right? And if they're Christians, they can be passionate about Jesus. They can be absolutely all about him, but they are prone to despair and isolation for fear that they might be found out or they might have to address their failures. Anybody here like me, kind of a sad legalist a little bit, a little more prone to isolation, despair, fear, I'm not good enough, I didn't do good enough things, and that's why this is happening, I deserve this. Or maybe you're a happy, happy legalist and some things have happened to you and you're going, man, I don't deserve this. Why does this happen to me? I've been going to church. I've got, I've served you faithfully. You know what? Heck with all this. I'm done with this. It's the happy legalist and it's the sad legalist. But they're all kind of running the same line. It's legalism. All right? It's a double-edged sword of legalism. And I want to tell you guys, listen, simply put, hey, listen, this is the baseline understanding of every societal ethic, every religion, every philosophy of the entire world. That's the baseline belief. Except for one. And that is Christianity. All right? Listen to me. If you don't know Jesus in the room, you don't follow him, it's totally okay. You're, you're safe. This is the best place to be this morning. Let me just tell you right now, Christianity does not fit in that description. It is the odd man out. I apologize if you believe that's true. It's probably because of Christians. But that is not biblical Christianity. And you go, wait, hold on a second, Greg. Doesn't the Bible give rules and say, if you don't do this, you're going to go to hell. And if you do do this and you're good, you're going to go to heaven. Yes, it does give rules. And yes, it does give consequences. But the Bible makes quick and clear statements. And the quick and clear statement is this. Nobody can do it. How does that feel? Like, think about that. How's it, how do you feel about that? Well, crap. Right? Anybody feel that way? But you hear that and you go, wait a second. That's actually true. You ever met a perfect person? Hey, girls. You ever came across that profile? He looked good and he said he was perfect. What do you do with that? Nope. Swipe left on that guy. <laughs> I ain't dating nobody who's perfect. Right? And there's nobody who is perfect. And the Bible makes clear statements. It's impossible. You cannot do it. And it's depressing. Okay? So no matter what your perceived righteousness is, you think you've been a good guy, you're owed certain things, it's not true. We cannot do it. So this idea that, hey, why do bad things happen to good people is actually kind of a silly thing. Because the reason why bad things keep happening is because People keep doing them. Am I right? Anybody in here want to say that you've never done a bad thing to somebody? I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to admit it. Every single one of us has. Now, here's the thing. There is a thread of hope in the life of Joseph, the story of Joseph, the story of the whole Bible, the story of history. There is a thread of hope. 
buried down in it. And my job today is to just kind of show you it, to encourage you and exhort you in it. And the thread of hope is this, that even though we are hard-pressed by the sin and the brokenness of others, and we hard-press others through sin and brokenness in them, and despite all of our inability to be able to do it, there is still a eternally perfect, loving, completely powerful, and sovereign God who is for his people. Do you hear me? That even though that we are hard-pressed, guys, we are not forsaken. Because if there is a God, and that God is for us, and we have faith in that God, then guys, we can have hope that even though things can be tragically awful, we're not forsaken. That is what this is about today. So listen, every one of you needs to hear this message. Okay, I don't need your agreement. We need to hear this. In this world, which we watch the news, we need to know, guys, is this it? Just eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die? Or is there some kind of hope that goes beyond all this? I think in the life of Job's, we're going to see it. So go to Genesis 39, verse 1. And I tell you what, man, we're going to see a theme that God has been t- trying to tell the whole world since, since uh, Genesis 3. Well, since the beginning. Let's read it, okay? Use your index finger, follow along. It usually helps me. It says this. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Okay? Now, I want you guys to count on your hands how many times in these first few verses it says the Lord. All right? You ready? It's going to be a little test. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Man, don't we all need a Joseph in our life? All I got to worry about is dinner. It's going to be fantastic. How many times does it say the Lord? Five times. Good job. I see some kids throwing them up. All right. Five times. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. If you were here last week, which was only about nine of you, um, we talked about that in all of history, in the grand scheme of the cosmos, if you imagine it as like a play, the director of the play is God. He's the director. You're not the director, which is good news for me. All right. But you are a character in this play. And in your life, you're the main character of your story. Now, Joseph is not the director. Joseph is a character in the story. And yeah, he's the main character. But who is the director of the story? Five times it says it. Who is it? It's the Lord. The Lord is powerful and sovereign and can control things that you can't control. Because he actually is in control. He's directing. So what does he do? In the midst of... You guys got to admit, for Joseph, this is pretty unfavorable. You're slave now in a land you don't belong in. And in the midst of unfavorable and horrible st- circumstances of his life, it says the Lord does what? Three things. 
It says the Lord was with Joseph. We only know this story because Joseph had to have told people because he was the only one there. Joseph believed that God was with him. Number two, God brought the success to Joseph, a worldly success. God brought that success. Joseph recognized God's bringing it. Number three, God blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph and for Joseph's sake. That's what he did. That's what the director's up to. Why did God do that? God did it because God chose Joseph. You hear me? God chose Joseph, and he's choosing to do something in Joseph. And that's the second thing, to put Joseph in charge of Potiphar's affairs. So it's strategic to what God is trying to accomplish, to make him successful so that he might be in charge of Potiphar's affairs. God's got a plan. Now, now Joseph, do you think he knows what God's up to? No. He had one dream, and it's not looking great right now. So God's starting to get there. Now what? Okay. Why is he doing it? Okay. Is because he chose Joseph. He wants to put Joseph uh, in charge of Potiphar's affairs. And, but here's the thing, guys. Listen, this is the story of Joseph, and not all of us can relate, but there, those three things I just mentioned are three things that you've got to know if you want to follow God. Number one, you've got to know that God is the director of your life. You hear me? He is the director of your life. He's in charge. Proverbs 16.9. Anybody know what that says? Proverbs 16.9 says, A man may plan his ways, but the Lord does what? Sets his steps. I want to go that way, God. He's all right, cool. You're going to step right over here. Is, okay, anybody over 25 go, yeah, that's been my life story, right? I thought I was going to go this way. I thought I was going to go that way. I thought I was going to do this thing. I thought I was going to do that. I never thought I was going to be a pastor. In fact, Bonnie and I agreed to date based on the fact that I was not going to be a pastor and she didn't have to be a pastor's wife. And we're still working on that. All right? I did not want to do this. Some of you think like I was like eight and I just had like a little bow tie, born of a virgin, just wanted to do this. Not even close. It's not what I wanted to do. But the Lord has set my steps and he set your steps and all of our steps landed here in this gymnasium. God is the director of your story. And you need to know that in the midst of, look guys, I don't know your whole story. I don't know what you're going through. But the, in the midst of whatever circumstances that friends you're in right now, I'm telling you, God was working to get you here. He's working right here and right now. Pay attention. And he's going to work tomorrow. And he doesn't sleep. He's working. Why is God working, and why is this all going on? Why are the circumstances the way they are in your life? Listen, it's because, same thing as it is for Joseph, God chose you. You can't get around it in the Bible, guys. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing even as he chose us before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him. He chose you. And that's a great thing. 
Now you can go, I don't want your brain to go all lost. Well, you know, what about the people he didn't choose? And you like go left and right. You need to understand for all those who believe in faith, God chose you. And you can believe, you can make the choice to believe and trust in this God, but he chose you. And he's chose you because he wants to do something through you. Even the wicked he will use, our Bible says. But the second thing is because he's going to use you. He wants to do something to accomplish his plans and purposes, which are all good, loving, and perfect in this world. And you get to be a character in it. Guys, do you see, do you hear me? You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a 68-year missionary. You can be a plumber. And that might be the most strategic thing God has. And he goes, I need you to do this. There's something I've got here. Not, no, that's not dissing on plumbers. I didn't go from like the top to the bottom. And like, it's not what I'm trying to do. Basically, what I'm saying, it doesn't matter who you are. God wants to use you. And he's chosen to do so. Will you choose to believe that he is? Well, that's what we're going to go to in the story. We're going to see, we're going to take a look real quick, guys. Because I don't, most of y'all don't believe that. Ah, Greg, I see he wants to use you, pastor. But I, my job is to convince you that he wants to use you as well, all right? But let me show you, all right? Because there's about 130 of you guys who are probably believers in this room. I need you to understand something, that if you are going to choose to believe that God wants to use you, that he's chosen you, that he's with you, right, in your circumstances, these circumstances aren't meaningless, you're not, you may be hard-pressed, but you're not forsaken, if you're going to choose to believe this, then bro, this next bit you need to be aware of, okay, let's go. I, I kind of title this next section, Tests and Traps, Tests and Traps. You know what I think of when I think of tests and traps? Golf, okay? Golf in itself is just a test of my patience, of my pride, of the goodness of God, okay? Because in golf, right, because it's not hard enough to swing a stick and hit a tiny little ball in the right direction to begin with, what do they do? They put a bunch of crap out there, sand traps, water traps, trees, people's houses and backyards, right? They put all this stuff. They're like, you know what? This is too easy. Let's put this stuff out here and see how they feel about it, right? And so it's full of traps. Your life is the same way, guys. There are so many traps that are being set for you and you have no idea. But you know what's great about golf? I've never had one of these, all right? I'm clearly, one, can't afford it, two, not good enough. But they have these things called caddies. You know what a caddy is? Caddy's a guy who carries your bag, but they also are people who know the course better than anybody else. All right, so this morning, let me be your caddy and let the Word of God be your caddy. There's also another uh, term for caddies called loopers. There's actually a great documentary about loopers. I think it's on Amazon. You should watch it. It's fantastic, okay? Uh, Bill Murray narrates it, which just makes it so, super fun. But here's the thing about loopers. They call them loopers because they go around the 18 multiple times a day, every day, for these people. So they know the course better than anybody. All right? And listen, you only get 18 holes to play in your life. You get one shot at going to 18. But the Word of God is like a looper, like a caddy. And it instructs you and tells you, listen, there's a trap here and there's a trap there. But if you stay right here, you're good to go. So let me be just a caddy for this hole this morning for you. But look, look at what it says. Verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It's like, I hate when the Bible says that. There's just nothing, there's nothing like beneficial about that. 
And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Okay, let's click pause on this Netflix special, all right? Sex in Egypt. This is, so what's going on is we've got, we've got a, a handsome, successful young man, okay? That's what he is. It's The Bachelor, right? And so we got handsome, successful young man. Now, I want to tell you something, guys. I think two of the most potent temptations in all the world for men is sex and power. It's sex and power. And so it's setting up a test for Joseph that's in the area of sex and power. It's going to tempt him to get off course, to get out into the rough, to get caught in a trap, rather than sticking to where God wants him to go. Why is this happening? Because the enemy is always aware that God wants to do something through you. He's wanting to take you to the kingdom, and he doesn't want you to be there, and he sees that God's doing something with, or God is doing something with Joseph. And so let's look at how Joseph responds. Check this out. Verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, pay attention, behold, because of because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. So first of all, it says he refuses. So well done, Joseph. Okay. But did you notice, uh, and I'm maybe reading into the text a little bit, there's just a hair of pride in this young guy. No, I... I'm greater than my master in this place. Man, the only thing I don't have is you. Like when I read that the first time, my first thought was like, man, this can go anywhere, any, any other way. If this is a Netflix special, if this is Sex in Egypt, you know what's going to happen in next week's episode, right? Right? They're going to they're gonna get together. There's going to be this little love affair. They're going to like plot to figure out how to kill, kill Potiphar, make it look like an accident. Right? Am I right? <laughs> Haven't you seen this already? Been there. Switching over to the History Channel. This is boring. So there's a little bit of pride that we see in Joseph. And this is going to, I think that this is, I may be reading into it. Again, I'm just saying that. But this is going to get worked out. God's going to work this out in him. Because God wants to use great men, and great men cannot be pride-filled. They have to be humble. Okay? But here's what he says. How then... Can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? What does it say? Say it louder. Against God. He doesn't say Potiphar. He says God. How can I do this? And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. She's relentless. And so this next section I kind of title resolution. In my Bible, I write re resolution over this next little bit. Why? Because Joseph's refusal of Potiphar's wife, even though every day she's in this man's ear, trying to get him to sleep with her, right? He is resolved in his heart to trust God and not his own personal feelings, passions, and desires. He is resolved to believe in his heart that God has something better and that God is worth trusting. You guys hear me? I struggle with that. To have an understanding like that in your life, guys, I know some of you are like, man, I wish I had that resolve. I want to tell you guys that kind of resolve right there is a gift from God. You need to understand that. I want to be very clear. Can you work hard for it? For sure. 
Should you pray for it? Every day of your life. Because that is a gift from God that Joseph has a resolve. David calls uh, this trust in God. David kind of had this resolve. Now he does fail. But David kind of had this resolve. At the end of his life, David sang a song. I've, I've said this before. And this is what he sings in the song. Okay? Second uh, Samuel 22, verses 31 and 32. He says this. This is David's song. He says, this God that Joseph has a resolve in, that David has a resolve to trust, says this God, his way is perfect. He says, the word of the Lord proves true. He says, he is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock but our God? He says, he's a shield. Paul also makes a reference to a shield in Ephesians chapter 6. Right? Men, we all know this passage. It's the armor of God. We love the armor of God. But check out in Ephesians 6, 16, what does Paul say about the armor of God? Guys, listen to me. If you're trying to follow Jesus faithfully, you can't miss this. It's something that Joseph understands, that if you don't understand, eventually you're not going to be here anymore because something's going to happen. Look, this is what's going to happen. Ephesians 6, 16 says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Bro, that's the entire message in a verse right there. That when you trust in Jesus, when you trust in God, and you look to him, not looking to what is seen, but looking to what is unseen, and you trust in faith in God, then the temptations of the enemy, the fire in those arrows, it goes out. The sharpness of that temptation, it goes out. And listen to me, guys, it's a shield of faith and trusting in God. you got to pay attention to this. Joseph's faith that God was before him and with him, it created a resolve that was like a shield with his God. And so he didn't fall prey to the temptations and the desires. That's it. It's the difference between Joseph and me and you. He had faith in God. God wants to do something. So friends, guys, listen to me. What is your faith in? What's your faith in? A good way to find out is, what are the things that rock your shield more than anything else? Man, I tell you what, 2020, November 2020, I know it rocked a lot of y'all's shields. Oh, dear Lord, Donald Trump's not the president. Must be the end times. And here's the thing, it's like, I say that not to make funny. I say that to embarrass you. Because I am not an American first. America will burn away and the kingdom of God will remain. Egypt will burn away, but God's purposes and plans of what he's doing through Joseph will remain. My hope's not in who's the president of the United States. Now, some of you are going, well, you still got to make the city. You still got to fight for things. You bet I do. But I'm not, if I hope in money, if I hope in politicians, if I hope in school boards, I hope in you, I'm going to war without a shield. In your opinion, the president's decisions, the school board's things, we've got to make decisions in response, but my hope is not in that. They are not my shield. Are they your shield? Friends, some of it's your shield. It's your shield. That's why you want to walk away from the faith. You go, like, God, it's not working. It's not working. So you're a happy legalist or you're a sad legalist. I tried to follow it. So yeah, but you tried to go to war without a shield. You didn't have faith in God. Your faith was in yourself. 
Faith is in what they think and what they do. Do you hear that? Joseph's faith is in God. And look what happens next, guys. When they set traps, there's something I want you to understand. If you are resolved, hey, friends, listen to me. Hey, listen. Hear what I'm saying. If you are resolved to follow God and have faith and trust in Him, I don't care if you're older than me, younger than me right now, listen. If you are resolved, the enemy is not going to play patty cake. They're not going to go, oh, okay. Cool. You really want to follow Jesus. Hey, how about it? They're going to double down on you. And it's the reason many of you don't want to follow Jesus. Look at this. Watch. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house. This is a massive sand trap right here, right in front of the green. Look at what it says. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. Hey, look, guys, listen. We're all six foot six and 230 on Facebook, right? But you know what the enemy hates more than anything in the world? You know what it hates? It's not how you post on social media or that, that Jesus sticker you have on your bumper plate. It's not that. You know what it hates more than anything? It's when men resolve in their heart to walk Jesus' way and quietly do it no matter what. And then their life becomes like a sword and the enemy hates them. And they'll go from doing this. They'll go from going, you know, you see TikTok when Roe vs. Roe Wade switched? You see what TikTok was doing? It was like going, some of y'all, TikTok is this app. We post videos. They're like eight seconds. All right. But here's what happened. These guys were lambasting, not just Republicans, Christians. They thought it was our fault. And I'd like to say it was because I was super in love with that decision. But they were like, you know, is your sky daddy happy now? Yada, yada, yada. You guys think you're better than us? You hate women? They could do that with their words, but listen to me. You walk faithfully, humbly, and resolve to follow Jesus. They'll go from just trying to tempt you with their mouth to laying hands on you. Wake up. They're going to lay their hands on you. Do you understand? So look what happens. She caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. That girl set a trap, and it was a good one. Took a little bit of slander, and it worked. Guys, do you understand something? This is the expectation that every believer should have, that when you want to follow Christ, there are some that are going to hate you, and there's some that are going to say thank you. Janet is meeting some of the ones that have said thank you. Okay? But 
Why are you surprised that they're going to hate you? Proverbs, the Old Testament, Proverbs 29, 27, wisdom says this. This is what it says. The unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. Our goal is not to be self-righteous, but righteousness will be hated by the world. Do you get it, guys? Is that clear? Can I make it any clearer? Can the Bible make it any clearer? Listen, this is the difference between great men and all others. And guys, I'm telling you, you know what the world needs? It needs Christian great men. Let me tell you the difference between great men, okay, and all others. Great men, when they are abandoned, they know that they are never alone. You know who's a great man? Paul was a great man. And Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, he just gets through saying that all these people who have abandoned him, they've left him. And in 2 Timothy 4, 17, this is what Paul says. He goes, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And then he says, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. That's a great man. Great men, when they are enslaved, they know that they are never slaves, right? Galatians 4, 6 and 7 says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. Great men believe that. Great men know that when they are slandered, like Joseph was slandered, when they are slandered, they know that they are blessed by God. Jesus was a great man. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now, if they do it because you're being an idiot, you know, don't consider yourself blessed. You're being an idiot. He says, but on his account. Now, listen to what he says. Verse 12 of chapter 5, he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So listen, you're in a long line of great men if they're persecuting you and slandering you because you're staying true to the faithful way of Christ. You get that? And so let's recap Joseph's story. Joseph was the favored son. He's thrown in a pit by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. Okay, he has a little bit of success, but then he gets thrown into prison because some woman lies about him, even though he's trying to be righteous. How would you respond? Bro, I would be screaming. I'd be so mad. I'd be so frustrated. No, she's a liar. You got to listen, blah, blah, blah. Right? Are you the happy legalist or the sad legalist when I ask you, how are you going to respond? I don't deserve this. I do deserve this. I'm not a good, I'm not a good person. Just, you know, lock me up. This is the pits. You're either one or the other. But look, look what it says next. It's, remember how this whole chapter started? Look at how it's ending. 39, 21 through 23 says, again, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. 
The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Guys, listen to me. Great men are great because they have a higher, deeper, wider understanding of the greatness of God and they operate under that understanding in faith. Joseph believed in God. Joseph respected God. Joseph feared God. Joseph loved God. This passage exists because we know that's true and he shared the story. He had those. And that's what every great man has done. In fact, in our Bible, that's what it calls wisdom, to believe, respect, and fear, and love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is what, that's the one thing you have to do in your life. And so listen, guys, the reason your life sucks is not because God's not good, and it's not because the circumstances are bad. The reason why your life stinks is because you doubt that God is good, loving, powerful and sovereign. He's in charge of everything that's going on and that he's going to do great things no matter what your circumstances are, that he's using them. It's that you doubt God. That's why you think it's so horrible and terrible. And it's the reason why we ask questions like, hey, why did, why did bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Let's ask Jesus. What do you think Jesus has to say about it? The only good man who's ever existed was Jesus. Jesus never thought, did, acted, intended anything that was outside of the goodwill of God, the plan of God. In other words, he played his role in the play perfectly. He never sinned. Not once. In 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23, he says he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not, uh, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What did that just say? It said that even though Jesus had horrible circumstances, he did what Joseph did. He had faith in God. He had hope in God. He believed that even though this didn't look good, God knew what he was doing and was going to keep going that way. Now you go, it's kind of cheating because he is God. I agree. But he still does the same thing he expects all of us to do. And why do I say he expects you to do the same? Because two verses before that, it says it. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 21, or 20 and 21. Guys, memorize this. Memorize this. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What credit do you get? You killed somebody, you went to prison. I got through prison. Okay. You killed somebody. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his footsteps. Joseph just keeps getting thrown into circumstance after circumstance, horrible situation after horrible situation. And the question is, what is getting him through it? What's getting him through it is faith in God. That's it. Faith. Is the great shield and antidote to temptation, and it's the great shield and antidote to every circumstance. It's trusting that God is going to do something, looking to him. And so, guys, what we need right now in this room, what we need in this community, in, in Cody, Wyoming right now, is not better politicians, not better business leaders, not better school systems and school boards, 
Those things are great, and I hope they get better, but they'll only get better because we have better men. And by better men and better women, what I mean is men and women who, though they recognize that this world has suffering and it hurts and it's horrible, God is good, and he's working in every single one of those things, and they have faith to trust him. And they resolve to follow him every step of the way, going, God, not my will, but your will be done. Do you understand? And that's what Joseph's doing. And if you read the rest of the story, it's going to lead to saving 70 people. And it's also going to lead to building a big nation that eventually gives us Jesus. Do you understand? God's going to do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or imagine. And Janet is seeing that right now as she's meeting and greeting and seeing her Savior, as well as seeing people who know him, their Savior because of Janet and Jack. And I remind you of Janet and Jack because the way we get through is we don't look at retirement because Jesus didn't get millions of dollars, guys. Jesus did not get some smoking hot wife. He didn't get a house by the beach. He didn't get cool retirement. He didn't get a medal of honor. He got three nails. He got spat on. He got whipped. He got crucified. He died. And why did Jesus do that? Jim, why did Jesus do that for us? We need a Savior. We need a Savior. Why else did Jesus do this? Mike, Mach, why did Jesus do that for you? Because you couldn't. God, Brad, why did Jesus do that for you? Okay. Everything they've said is exactly right. But it's not what I'm looking for because it's, you guys are talking about what's on you. You need it. What is in the heart of Jesus for you? Why, so let me ask you again, Jake, why did Jesus do that for you? Because he loves you. Guys, here's your encouragement this week. I don't know what you're going into. I don't know what you're in. And it sucks. I'm not trying to minimize suffering. I'm actually trying to show you meaning in suffering. The culture tries to get rid of suffering and take the meaning out of suffering by just trying to sell us nothing but pleasure. And we say we should never suffer. But the reality is suffer, suffering has meaning to it. It is not without purpose. And in the midst of it, we hear the love of God, that he loves us, and we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. So guys, this week, be strong, be courageous, be like Joseph and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, trusting in faith that everything that's about to happen to you this week, God is in, he is working, he is with you, and listen, it may one day make them want to put their hands on you, but rejoice that one day we'll get to be where Janet is and we won't care anymore. Amen? 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Friends, listen to me. This week, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and women of God. Be strong. And let everything you do be done in love. Let's pray. Stand up with me. God, I'm so thankful for your love and kindness and grace to us. It is, it's amazing and it's wonderful. And my faith is not perfect. I am like Joseph. I can have moments where I win in one realm of my life, but my pride gets me in the next. But God, I want to follow you. And so do so many of these friends in here.
either for the first time in their life, God, or just for the next day, the next hour, they want to follow you. So I pray you would strengthen them. I pray that you would give them hope that even if they're in the dungeon right now, that they can live excellently in faith with you. God, if they feel enslaved by sin right now, help them see that they could be sons and daughters of God. I pray you would meet us right now, and I pray our worship would be pleasing to you. Reach down into our heart, God, and encourage us to be bold and courageous and faithful. In Jesus' name.